This is crime scene investigator Chris G leading you under the police tape and into a crime scene. Join me as we discuss the ever-changing world of forensic science. Put on your PPE, ready your fingerprint brushes and experience the drama of a crime scene. Hello everyone and welcome to another podcast. It's just me again, I'm afraid. I can almost hear everyone skipping to the next episode. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, for those tuning in recently, this is the latest episode. You're going to have to bear with me chatting at you for, for a little while. You may have noticed that I've changed the name of this podcast. The podcast used to be called uh, The Life of a Real CSI, but I've changed it to The Crime Scene Investigator mainly because I just couldn't find my old podcast on Alexa. Um, brackets, sorry if everyone's Alexa is now waking up. Uh, so I thought I'd call it something a bit more catchy, uh, and I've called it The Crime Scene Investigator. Uh, but it's worth noting that there are other crime scene investigators out there. Um, just because I've called myself The Crime Scene Investigator doesn't mean I'm the exclusive one. <laughs> There are others out there, um, not trying to take away anything <laughs> from you guys. Uh, but yeah, I hope you like the new name, um, and I hope the Alexa kind of finds it soon. I've done a few test runs, and yeah, we're kind of struggling a bit. So fingers crossed, uh, yeah, she starts listening to your... So I hope everyone's been alright recently. Um, at the moment, we are still in kind of full lockdown waiting for it to be eased in a couple of days I think and I say eased uh, we're going into a tiered system now in the UK so we've got three tiers tier three being the toughest restrictions and tier one sort of being medium restrictions um, and judging by the map of the UK I think most are going into tier two there are very few areas that are going into tier one um, so yeah, it's still it's still going on this uh, lockdown because of the COVID nineteen virus, um, and yeah, we're still we're still ploughing through it. The government have also announced that the public sector workers are to have a pay freeze. Now I don't speak for everyone, um, but I'm sort of I'm okay with that because I think so many other people have been struggling at the moment, uh, sort of financially, either been made redundant or been put on furlough. Uh, so I think everyone's sort of wages have been affected and I think if mine can stay the same then I just think I'm I'm very fortunate and very lucky, much more luckier than uh, say the people that have, uh, have been made redundant. So yeah, if if we're to have a pay freeze then so be it, I think I could be in a, in a lot worse situation um, and I'm just, I'm very grateful for, for all those that are kind of keeping economy going and uh, yeah um, just sparing a thought for those that are, uh, are having to sort of find work after being made redundant um, must be in incredibly hard at the moment especially when you've got mouths to feed and you've got to put a roof over your head as well um, it can't be easy and on that note I felt it uh, appropriate to discuss mental health in uh, in this podcast so I will be discussing mental health at crime scenes, um, however some of you may be able to identify similarities in your lines, in your lives, sorry. Maybe uh, your office can feel like a crime scene on some days, or maybe it would just be interesting to see how my mind works whilst I do my job. 
You see so many crime scene dramas uh, that make the job look easy to handle, but a lot of people, I think, appreciate the difficulty of my work when I when I speak to them. I must firstly add that these are all my experiences and my opinions. I'm going to open up a little, uh, which isn't going to be easy. Um, I know that my colleagues listen to this too, so it's a big step letting them all into my life. Um, but I'm doing this to hopefully help others and keep up that conversation about mental health. Um, so when it comes to mental health, uh, two of us can experience the same event and yet our minds can cope with it completely differently. Uh, it's important to know that there is no rule book when it comes to how someone should cope with a traumatic event. And I guess I always try to remind myself that if something isn't affecting me, it may be affecting someone else and vice versa. So I always try to be compassionate when I see someone is suffering when I might not be. And I don't beat myself up for having a bit of a wobble when others may be keeping it together. And I guess, of course, uh, you don't always know if people are keeping it together or not. Um, we'll go into that in a little bit. So let's talk about me before I applied for the job. Um, how did I know I could cope with the sights this job brings? Um, I didn't really. I don't think any of us do before we take on, say, a job like this. Um, I mean, there was a warning on the job description to say that the role wasn't for the faint-hearted, um, although they worded it far better and more professionally than that. Um, before I filled out my application form, I reflected on myself as a youngster. I remember hiding behind the cushions when watching Jurassic Park, not like in the part where the man gets eaten by a T-Rex. Um, and I knew that the chances were low of me dealing with a scene where death was caused by a dinosaur. But it did make me question whether I could cope uh, with some of the sights that I might see. Um, but I knew that a big driving factor for me and how to get the best out of myself is when I know that I'm working for others. Um, I mean, a simple example is I'll always put in more effort when I know I'm cooking for other people than just myself. Um, I think a lot of people share that trait. So this was a big driving factor for me uh, to apply, knowing that the work was going to be tough, but rewarding at the same time. Seeing my first dead body, I traveled over to the mortuary in Brighton. The mortuary isn't attached to a hospital like most are. Uh, it looks like a little bungalow, which I feel brings a bit of privacy to the families uh, when they arrive for viewings. So I got buzzed through the doors, I sat down and was part of the briefing with the officer in charge of the case, the senior CSI and the pathologist. They were all discussing the case, the forensic samples required to be taken and the possible cause of death. Of course, I was quite apprehensive at the time. It was my first, my first deceased that I was about to about to see, and I sort of probably just wanted to to be over and done with. Really, uh, the longer I was waiting, the more I was kind of say stewing on things. Um, so then, after the briefing, I strode past all the freezer drawers and towards the main theatre. Uh, the deceased was male. He had his eyes wide open, and his mouth looked like he was screaming. It wasn't the image of someone I had passing away. As I was training at the time, all I had to do was watch, but I found it useful to keep busy. Otherwise, my sole focus would be on this man who was about to be examined by the pathologist. The smells were all new to me, 
Someone once told me to put Vicks or aftershave on the inside of my mask to cover the smell. However, I knew that the next time I was ill and had to use Vicks, or the next time I put on that aftershave, my mind would be transported back into that operating theatre. During the post-mortem, I started to feel a little unsteady. However, the senior CSI at the time, and a previous guest on this podcast, Brian, made sure he kept talking to me. He was explaining what was happening, what the pathologist was doing, and what the other CSIs were doing also. Uh, But it gave my mind something else to focus on. And that was a good lesson for me. When I'm dealing with a traumatic incident, my coping methods are to keep busy and not lose sight of that end goal, knowing that there are families out there that would benefit from me helping discover the truth of what happened. And for me, that's quite a good incentive. A few years passed. I dealt with many crime scenes, some not all that pleasant, but there was one that affected me more than others. I still to this day cannot work out if it would still affect me now had I uh, dealt with it for the first time in my life at this present moment, or if it just hit me at the wrong time of my life back then. But because of this scene, I enlisted in counselling. I had a lovely counsellor called Amanda, who I visited on and off for about a year afterwards. The one thing that stuck with me was how she described the mind like a kitchen cupboard. If you put too much in without taking things out, the thing will overflow and you won't be able to close the doors. What I think happened to me at the time of of that scene was me trying to cope with too much in my personal life and this scene was entering an almost full cupboard with nowhere for me to store it all. So I needed to deal with my problems one thing at a time. Now I really promote talking about feelings, whereas before I would often bottle things up. I guess I'm still guilty of holding on to things now, particularly where my work can be quite sensitive, but I recognise that if things are getting too much, then I would speak to someone appropriate. So what does my work offer in the way of support? We have an employee assistance programme where someone is available to talk 24-7, 365 days a year. They can offer support on mental health, physical health and well-being, resilience at work and financial well-being. We have an app we can download on our work phones or our personal phones, so we always have support in our hands. After a large, difficult case, there may be a diffuse meeting. Diffuse meetings are there to help with post-incident trauma support. It could be a one-on-one meeting or where a team of you all get together. I remember going to a diffuse meeting and the diffuser asked a question, kind of like, is everyone okay? We were all either silent or some said that they were fine. However, one person spoke up and said that she found it quite difficult. I looked at her and had such admiration for her. It took such courage and strength to show her feelings to her colleagues. And once she had, more people were then confident enough to say they found it hard too. I feel that with this COVID virus and lockdown, the ease of getting things off our chest has become a little tricky. I've had phone counselling before and it's just not the same as face-to-face, so I can really appreciate how difficult things may have gotten for people. The ease of going to someone's house, having a cup of tea and putting the worlds to rights has been difficult recently. Some people are getting video chat fatigue, but at the time of recording this, uh, you can still meet up outdoors, although it's not easy for some I know, um, as this has really made people feel isolated. Um, however, know that you're not alone. 
There are fantastic charities out there offering support. If you're from the UK, you can visit the NHS website and search for mental help, uh, search for sorry, mental health helplines. Whether you're an adult or a child, there is support out there that is tailored to you. The Samaritans do excellent work all year round. Uh, they're always on hand to help and listen to you. Their number is 116123 and it's uh, free to call. Um, if you're overseas, however, I recommend you either ask your local doctor or there's always a whole host of information out there uh, online. But in a crisis, you will be advised to go to A&E. Now, this may sound strange at first, um, but I kind of feel that mental health is now quite right, widely recognised as a condition that can need urgent treatment, which is probably why you are then asked to go to A&E. Um, the most important thing I, th I feel is that we keep on talking to one another, keep supporting everyone, and each of us needs to keep our ke kitchen cupboards tidy. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you're all keeping safe, both physically and mentally, and I wish everyone all the best. just take this uh, this opportunity to um, explain where this podcast is hopefully going in the future. Uh, I hope to have an interview lined up with a bloodstain pattern analysis expert and also a fingerprint expert as well. Uh, they've both said that they would do it, but uh, they've gone a little quiet recently. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm going to have to nag them uh, into coming on this show. Um, and I'm kind of enjoying doing these podcasts by myself. Um, if you've got any topics that you'd like me to cover, uh, please let me know. Um, my Twitter is at CSI Chris G. Surname is spelt G double E. Or you can email me. My email address is CSI Chris G999 at gmail.com. And of course, if you are having, say, troubles with your own mental health and you found that this podcast has, has helped you anyway, then I'd love to hear from you. Um, it would be really interesting to yeah discuss um, sort of how you're feeling, any similarities that you might have to to my work, and of course like if you are a crime scene investigator out there as well that have had sort of similar experiences, then feel free to chat. Um, I'm not going to post it post it online or anything. It would be in confidence. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate everyone uh, listening to this. Thank you so much, and we'll chat soon. Bye bye. This is Crime Scene Investigator Chris G signing off. Thank you for joining me and I hope you enjoyed listening. Be sure to subscribe and follow my social media at CSI Chris G. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll see you at the next crime scene. You may or may have not noticed, uh, whoa, that was too many mays, I'll try that again. <laughs> may or may or may. <laughs>